for two. And one, two. So hi, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the IMMP podcast, where you'll get your combination of nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. <laughs> uh, my name is Matthew Porter. With me is... Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son, and I make him watch television, or in this case, movies. Yeah. I think that was a movie, yeah. Oh, that was a movie. That was Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little... I'm, I'm giving you a hard time at the start. That was a movie. Yes. That was... Definitely a classic in terms of an example of an artist of a specific artist's work of a movie. I'd say. Yeah, I'd say so. It seemed like a good a good slice or a good introduction to a person we might see show up in later stuff. I'm assuming. Or yeah, I think we will. I think we're going to see more from that director. We're going to see more from some of those actors, and this definitely fits into that purpose of the IWMP podcast of kind of helping you figure out what happened. How did I get the way I am? <laughs> and me being really curious as to how you, what you think of it, let alone what I think of it after all this time. Oh, I've got some thoughts on this one. So we're going to be talking about a movie once again. I think this is the second movie we've done versus TV series. We did 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. And Most of the rest of the things have been TV series. Right. So we're going back to, um, to the movies now. Not back as far as the 1950s for a Disney movie I saw when I was a little kid. This is no Disney movie. No, this is no Disney movie. Instead, we are talking about Stripes, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Bill, Bill Murray. Murray and, and uh, Harold Ramis. I mean, a classic duo. Yes, it is. And I think you were onto something when you said it is a great example of what it is. Yeah. What it is is something you can have opinions about and you can can argue over just just what is it. But whatever it is, this is a good example. I, I'll I'll say this right now. If I needed to explain to I mean why I'd be explaining this instead of, you know, other topics, but if I had to explain to a complete alien to our planet the work of Bill Murray, this might be one of the movies I show them. Knowing what I do know of Bill Murray's work, I might show them this before Ghostbusters because it might be a better slice of his style of film overall, while Ghostbusters had a different polish to it. It did, and interestingly, same director made Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And and I, I chose Stripes because I noticed it was on Netflix. It's unfortunately, or I think unfortunately, they've taken <laughs> it off Netflix now as of the first of this month. But I noticed it was on Netflix. I remembered it having had an impact on me when I was younger, even though I wasn't really sure I remembered what that impact was. So I said, that's exactly the kind of movie we should watch. Um, it had an impact. But yeah, it's not. There are other movies I uh, might have been better choices. Uh, Meatballs, which was also directed by Ivan Reitman and was Bill Murray's first feature film, if I rem remember right. That's a movie we're going to have to watch sometime and might have been a better first one. But still, I think Stripes stands on its own as something worth thinking about in some way. Okay. I, that at least lets me brace for later. <laughs> but yeah, this one, I mean, just the way it starts out is very much a an intro to Bill Murray and the characters he plays. Right. And it's also the first... The first we've seen in this podcast of a certain kind of comedy from that era. And I've got to say that when I was in that, but definitely when I was in high school, maybe starting second half of junior high, my sense of comedy, and which is different from sense of humor, I think, but my sense of comedy was very much formed by Saturday Night Live, Second City, um, National Lampoon when I could get my hands on it. Okay. And, and there were this, this pool of performers and writers that were kind of part of that whole comedy scene of the late 70s, really early 80s that 
I think I'm not alone in having my sense of comedy really being formed by that at that time. And this is a good example of a bunch of those people coming together with a low budget, a handful of stupid ideas, and making a movie that was exactly targeted for for me and and people like me at the time. I was 16 years old, not old enough probably to see this in the movie theater, thanks to the fact that we had recently gotten cable TV, so we had HBO and... Um, my parents were, were out doing something that, that evening. So between <laughs> that and, and one, at least one of my brothers looking to see what's on TV, we wind up sitting sitting and watching stripes and just thinking it is the funniest thing in the world at the time. Oh, oh my goodness. Because I, I, I'm trying to think of the, the points of reference for my own sense of comedy, not just sense of humor, but sense of comedy then. And I'm coming up with a very different set of references. I'm thinking some British humor stuff from when I was younger that you would show me. I'm thinking, oddly, I'm thinking editor's notes explaining Japanese puns between the the audio and the subtitles of things we'd watch. And I'm thinking later, still when I was in, you know, middle school and high school, the early YouTube and that surprise, unexpected twist kind of stuff. It's a lot more surrealist in wordplay is my sense of comedy and my sense of humor can can vary within that and go outside of it and i can find things but this just hit some of that same sitcom bone i spent some of it cowering in because it was that same kind of (laughs) why stop kind of humor the entire way yeah there was a a fair amount of that (laughs) although it wasn't unlike some sitcom stuff it wasn't the humor of the characters being embarrassed as much as the audience wondering why aren't you embarrassed you're being such an idiot absolutely and that's that right there this the entire opening scene where we see bill murray as the taxi as this taxi driver give this older lady this awful time now, they set up her being rude first, to some extent, kind of. Right. It's definitely, it's got that same, the ordinary Joes versus the the rich idiots, which is the whole plot of, of Meatballs is based around that, and big chunks of uh, Stripes is based around that. It's mm-hmm. a good example of it. They set up, oh, the rich people have to be rude idiots so that we can justify treating them the way our our comedic heroes do but there is a and bill murray is kind of known for this sort of character then where if someone pushes him a little he will run miles the other direction like okay we're gonna do this i'm gonna take it to 11 now as a character and that always makes this this every man air quotes but it's this I don't want to call him always likable, but I want to call him a a watchable, awful everyman. Right, and when you're 16, and it it feels like everybody in the world is down on you and has more money than you, it's a very attractive kind of hero character that you can sort of identify with. I wish I had the guts and the cleverness to be like this guy. Mm-hmm. But he, he is, it's always a person who has, it's always this character put in this situation who will push it to the extreme. And there's like the, okay, you've gotten it back. Okay. You're going too far. And then there's this strange point where he'll, his character will push it all the way into wrapping around of somehow you dodge what the consequences should have be. Ben, had you stopped a few minutes back? Right. It's like you you, you reach escape velocity of some, of some kind when you push it far enough. Yeah, social escape velocity. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And superficially, what you're describing is a classic comedy formula. It's, you see it all the time in Marx Brothers movies. There's the rich, rude idiots, and the Marx Brothers are in various ways the average guys. The difference is the response of the Marx Brothers was all about cleverness. It yes. wasn't, it wasn't let's be, 
be the ruder idiots. There's a certain sense in things like Stripes where you're going to tell me that I am incompetent and no good. You haven't seen incompetent and no good. I'm going to be so (laughs) incompetent and no good, you're not going to know what to do with me. John Ringer. What kind of a name is Ringer? Winger. I'm adopted. I spent most of my life in institutions. Doesn't surprise me. You look like a typical low-life character to me. Actually, I'm a photographer. I took this job because I love people. There's nothing I enjoy more than meeting someone like yourself and getting to know you and then taking a few action photos of you while I drive. Will you stop? Turn around. Watch the road. Turn around. Stop with the pictures. Thank you so much. Aren't you going too fast? Oh, it's not the speed, really, so much. Uh, I just wish I hadn't drunk all that cough syrup this morning, you know? That's kind of the Bill Murray character reaction. Instead of, I am going to be, I I know that I'm so much smarter than you that I'm going to run logical and linguistic rings around you so you don't want to know what hit you, which is more the Marx Brothers. And and the Bill Murray characters can still be smart in how they understand a social situation to know which wall to push that like that. Right. But the the Marx Brothers cleverness would also be a slower drip feed. The Marx Brothers might. The Marx Brothers will spin you around in a room and keep making you walk into this same one thing each time. Rhythmically, the Bill Murray is just going to just just put the just put the, put the pedal, to the floor, right away, pedal yeah. to the floor and just yeah. ramp it up there fast. It's a different approach to the execution. I, the Bill Murray character can still be clever. But it's all about how the implementation there in that sense. Right. And it's that cleverness versus intelligence. Mm-hmm. They're never portraying the Bill Murray character as being classically smart or intelligent. But he's quick and clever and reads people. And that's true, I'd say, of a lot of the characters in Stripes, him mostly. But, uh, yeah, it's a different kind of response to that rich, rude, idiot foil that you see repeated over and over in comedy. And that's why I always love Ramus's characters more when I see these, because he is always the smart one. He's the the smarter of the two friends who is usually fed up enough to go along with his other friend's idea. But I always relate to him more. Right. I, he at least is asking the question, is this really a good idea, be it in this movie or in Ghostbusters? He eventually is convinced against his better judgment that sure it's a fine idea but at least he asks the question as opposed to come on of course it's a good idea mm-hmm. why wouldn't we do this and he's the sort of person to say like oh wait no no this situation we're in is better than the one we were in before i will do better here let's stay here while the bill mary character keeps attempting to run further right so there's always that point where like suddenly he's one of them's pulling on the brakes to make a, a, a conflict in between this buddy pair. Right. Yeah, um, Bill Murray's character, Winger, is you know, from the moment he enlists in the army, he it's clear he doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to follow any rules, and is just looking to see how much he can get away with before he gets kicked out. Whereas Harold Ramis's character is, I think, sincerely asking at some point, do you think I'm officer material? He's yeah. realizing, you know... I I could do okay here if I knuckle down if I if I pay attention and don't get distracted by this guy. I mean, we see him try to we see uh, Remus's character try to run this English class, and he's saying he's new. He's saying that you know this is his first time, and he he has enough personality to keep the group at attention to him, even if they don't understand the English he's saying. And we see him gather them all up with a single thing to get them all behind it. But he's not great at planning out the what we're going to do to teach you English. Okay, that's really very good. I'd like to try it just one more time, and then we'll call it a day. I made it around on Monday, and my heart stood still. Somebody told me that her name was Jill. He's got the charisma to get a group of people to follow him, but a higher up to give him orders down to pass on, he fits that structure quite well. Yeah, he's a little more 
the chaotic good in that he's not going to come up with rules. He'll follow them when he when when they're available and they seem to make sense. But he's generally trying to do something worthwhile, whether it be it teaching or, or in the army, versus the chaotic neutral of of Bill Murray's character, which is I don't care about any of this and and. Breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules is a, a good in its own. Yeah. It, I always find his character more likable, and I don't know if I'm supposed to. You know, I think that they put this kind of pairing together because they know that's going to reach more people. Some people are going to... More people who are going to this movie or the target audience are going to identify with Bill Murray's character and want to be the cleverer than he has a right to be, smoother and more attractive than he has a right to be, etc. character. But there are going to be some people who are going to identify more with the clever guy having fun with a weird situation, or the, the intelligent guy having fun with a weird situation, like the uh, Harold Ramis character. And it's, in terms of the plot and the story, it's, it's, there's not a lot of subtlety here. It's <laughs> these two guys with, with dead-end jobs and either no girlfriend or recently departed girlfriend decide what the heck we have nothing else going on. They see a commercial on TV. They go and enlist in the army. I, 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 I can summarize the movie in one like continuous sentence. Guy has problems in New York, followed by army, followed by female nudity, then more army stuff. And then a Winnebago road trip. That's this movie. That's about right. Yeah. That's a that's pretty good, good summary. And I can, I can summarize it one layer more. Sure. Welcome to the army. We're here for the ladies. <laughs> it's kind of the way the entire movie approaches it. Yeah, there was a bit more of the um, of the the nudity, and there was no. It's not like there was any on screen sex per se, but there was more partial frontal female nudity than I recalled. Mom. Than I. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure it made an impression on me when I was 16. But I yeah, I was going to say. It based on when you're saying you originally saw this that... yeah it's funny it it was it was all done for the comedy though it was never it never really saw itself as a very sexy movie mm, I don't really think. no well, the the if they if they set up the comedic scenes they made with a with a first shot followed by what they showed followed by the comedic moment i would agree but there was enough instances where it was just into the the shot of female nudity, followed by comedy in response to it, that you couldn't tell at first that that was supposed to be set up for a com- comedic bit. You'd have to step back another layer to check the meta of the entire story. There I... were times it felt more blindsiding, I thought. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were briefer scenes that were kind of just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that to suddenly be on screen, mm. um, where people are just kind of are being nude. And then oh, I guess the one that's that I'm thinking about more is that the extended scene with John Candy, who is another member of their training platoon. Uh, again, one of the many Second City uh, and other you know, comedy group guys who are in this. There's an extended scene with with him at they're at some strip club, and it's like a battle royale mud wrestling of course and all the other wrestlers are young women yeah and they they gave every bit something comedic so none of it felt gratuitous but how long they kept it in there made it feel like they were trying to offer it as gratuity yeah <laughs> it was pretty gratuitous you could, okay you yeah could have told the story without you it. could have told the story but with less could you have it. sold as many tickets without it good point yeah but uh, we've we've immediately jumped in with that about this other, you know, big point within this movie. And just there's, as well to get that out of the way. Just as well to get that out of the way. There's there's plenty of army in between the, the New York and that. Yes, that's right. So these guys wind up in the army. We wind up meeting the other guys in their platoon. Includes John Candy. Includes Judge Reinhold. Bunch of guys whose names I, I uh, did not recognize right away, but they're the kind of guys I'd seen in lots of, of comedy movies at the time. Even I recognize these as familiar faces. I just didn't know them well enough to have any of their other work follow them into this, which might have been great. It means that everyone was able to just 
put on the mask of their character and be that character without their other works coloring that. Right. But I I could see places where the number of people that they tried to give characterization to might have been falling flat to me because I was expected to know, oh, this guy does this type of bit. Or, you know, he usually plays this type of character. And there might have been something, oh, they'll, they'll know that, assumed in the the way they set things up. Yeah, and even even so, even guys like you know, John Candy, you see John Candy in anything, he's so recognizable. And yet, he's a good actor in that he does submerge himself into that role. This character of you know, Oxenberger, Ox, very different from other John Candy movies you might you might see. He really was performing that character, not just a comedy guy getting to do his comedy bits in a movie. And that works because if you have a whole platoon full of guys just trying to get in their comedy bits, the movie falls apart. Yeah, everybody else was doing a pretty good job of carrying a character role so that Harold Ramis and uh, Bill Murray could stand out as the recognizable guys in the front. And then, of course, a great character was Hulka. Sergeant Hulka, yes. Sergeant Hulka was excellent, actually. And more so in the bits where he is directing the group than when he is directly working, directly going back and forth with Bill Murray's character. He is he is great at that kind of room-setting authority, and not just in the, I'm playing a character who barks orders and everyone must pay attention to, but in an, I'm an actor who can walk into a room and look annoyed before the camera finishes pivoting to me, and already have gotten you there. Yeah, you know, there's... It's not a term I would have expected to use in discussing this movie in any way, but there was a certain subtlety yeah. in the way he played Sergeant Hulka in that here's a guy, he's he's got a job to do, he's a, a drill instructor, and he's army through and through, and yet he's accustomed to dealing with guys who are not yet army through and through. And you kind of see that, I guess sensitivity for lack of a better term in some of the scenes where he's dealing with these uh these new recruits and yet he is the the tough guy foil for the bill murray uh jokes whenever he needs to be and in in the scene where i was just saying how he he has so much more presence when he's not working alongside bill murray but the him and bill murray's character uh going off to the side and the fist fight moment Right, yeah. That felt so much more like a drama. Time you and me had a private talk, Winger. Step into my office. Get any idea, Winger, that you don't like me? Maybe I just don't know you well enough yet, Sarge. What do you say? Let's cut out the bullshit between you and me, huh? Let's. I think you're a punk. I've been in this army 28 years. I've seen your kind come and go. You think you know something about everything, don't you? Well, let me tell you something, mister. You don't know a damn thing about soldiering. Oh, it's real tough stuff, Sarge, especially that marching in a straight line business. That's I ain't talking about that crap. I'm talking about something important, like discipline and duty and honor and courage. And you ain't got none of it. Those words mean so much to a man who scrubs garbage cans. Look, if you don't want me in your army, kick me out, but get off my back. That felt like it was a completely other movie for a bit, because it it was just not the same sort of event. There was something about that that made me think new recruit Hulka might have been a little bit like that. Oh, I like that. Especially with later in the movie, how there is this respect between the two of them, and this I understand you. There's something that says, I, I was you. I'm not gonna let I'm I'm not gonna let you make my mistakes. I'm gonna fix fix this other me now. That's deep. The, the fact that I can pull depth out of this that was an awesome <laughs> performance, and that I was the best part of the movie, in my opinion. I I would go with you there. Now I'm gonna kind of prove this by challenging you. Is there any depth that you can pull out of John Larroquette's character, who is completely inept? A depth as in you'd have to dig a pretty deep hole for him to stand in. He's a very tall man, but I don't have a lot <laughs> beyond that. He is he is intentionally a 
a wet noodle of a character. Right. In order to facilitate some of the ridiculousness that goes on. I mean, only a, only a, an, a superior officer like that would allow this platoon to continue on after Hulka gets blown up. And yeah. they, they, they kind of have to use the fact that he's incompetent to allow things to move on to the next act of the story. Yeah, if Hulka is the the tough, determined obstacle in that they have to deal with him or, or impress him in some way, John Larroquette's character is... He is really the foil, plot-wise. I don't know if he's a rich kid, but he looks like he must have come from the rich kid camp in Meatballs. And he doesn't know how to do his job, but he insists on giving orders and having them followed to the letter immediately. See grenade scene. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see fumbling around with things on his, uh, his desk, uh, pulls a pin on a grenade. Hands, hands it to a, yeah. hands it to a, to yeah. a, to an assistant to, who then has to run outside and yell grenade. And we hear an explosion. <laughs> Okay, what? Yeah, he's he's much better suited to playing with his toy soldiers on his desk, which we see him doing, than he is actually doing his job. But you mentioned the next big plot point, which is that uh, Sergeant Hulka gets blown up. Yeah. During training, he uh, gets hit by, by a, a mortar round. Another moment where they actually do try to take things seriously for a moment. And I'm I'm amazed to say this, a moment of foreshadowing... The first person to run over to Hulka is Bill Murray's character. That's right. Taking care of him, making sure they get help. Which I wasn't expecting foreshadowing. And it feels like that scene and the the fist fight in the the shower room are from a serious war movie that somehow was spliced into this Bill Murray comedy somewhere. That scene, though, is a pivot. Because that's the scene that suddenly gives everyone else this free reign, and that's sort of the sort of the ball that gets them to the later bits. Now, maybe it's because the incompetent is, and I'm sure he has a name, but that's all I keep thinking of him as. Maybe it's because the incompetent is running this training program. Nobody seems to notice that there's this platoon that no longer has a a drill sergeant, so. The first thing they do after Sergeant Hulka is blown up is they go out on the town and they go to this strip bar with the, the mud wrestling and all. And they're telling themselves it's, it's what Sergeant Hulka would have wanted us to do. We're kind of out here for him. I have expected full body cast Sergeant Hulka to waddle his way in and start kicking all their butts. That <laughs> seemed like the sort of comedy moment they were setting up for and... They just kept him out of it for a longer while. If this were closer to the end of the movie, that's exactly what would have yeah. happened. We kind of get that moment, sort of, eventually. But, but they get all they they wind up in a their their fight breaks out across the entire bar. Military police are called to arrest them, and this is part of the introduction of the girls, right? So there are these two young, pretty MPs who were getting the the guys onto the bus when they were first recruits headed for the training camp. And they apparently are the MPs on patrol at this camp. The other guys get picked up by like local police, but this gives Bill Murray and Harold Ramis's characters a chance to essentially go off or be taken away by these two MPs they were hitting it off with earlier. And they go and have a little fling. <laughs> Our main characters can't have repercussions for their actions if they're dating the law. <laughs> yeah, that is convenient. That's one of the things that keeps them out of uh, either being kicked out or out of the stockade is the fact that they have sympathetic MPs at, <laughs> yeah. the, at the camp. And and there's the whole um, the upper brass won't be won't be here until two days, so this house is uh, is abandoned. We're just doing a tour to make sure the place is okay, and everyone runs off to rooms. <laughs> yes, and we get to see a little bit more of the personalities of our two lead characters in that. Harold Ramis is, I think, a little more thoughtful about all this. Yeah. And is kind of paired up with the, the more thoughtful-seeming MP. And Bill Murray's character is more of the, um, I'm silly and goofy, but I'm still somehow kind of likable, aren't I? <laughs> and these two actresses do a fine job of actually selling that better than it has a, has a, a right to be. 
Who's your friend? <laughs> Who's your buddy? <laughs> I am, all right. You're crazy no. about me, aren't you? No. You're incredibly head over heels in love with me. No. You're helplessly, hopelessly, deeply in love with me, aren't you? <laughs> yes. But then eventually, even though they still don't have a drill sergeant, these guys have to keep training. And I think that the, the, the plot device thrown in is that if they don't pass their graduation drill inspection, they're going to have to repeat basic training from the beginning. And everybody's blaming that on our two lead characters for good reason. But I think the, one of the reasons they really start training is a little bit in honor of Sergeant Hulka, I think, even though they would never admit it. Kind of. Well, there's this entire, like, rousing speech scene once they're in this warehouse realizing that they're going to be in trouble. We're all very different people. We're not Watusi. We're not Spartans. We're Americans with a capital A, huh? You know what that means? Do you? That means that our forefathers were kicked out of every decent country in the world. We are the wretched refuse. We're the underdog. We're mutts. But there's no animal that's more faithful, that's more loyal, more lovable than the mutt. So we're all dog faces. We're all very, very different. But there is one thing that we all have in common. We were all stupid enough to enlist in the army. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. We're soldiers. But we're American soldiers. We've been kicking ass for 200 years. We're 10 and 1. <laughs> now, we don't have to worry about whether or not we've practiced. We don't have to worry about whether Captain Stillman wants to have us hung. All we have to do is to be the great American fighting soldier that is inside each one of us. Now do what I do and say what I say and make me proud. Fall in! Yeah! And... This rousing speech is an excellently written speech, excellently delivered by Bill Murray. But the pacing got so weird around this moment that I, I've got it in my notes as, okay, this is either excellent writing because it is saying these two goofballs were still paying attention to the things Hulka did teach them and rallying everyone else because they were paying attention, and it's a don't dismiss them for their personality piece of the story. Or, this is remarkably lazy, or remarkably incongruous, because it's a, we can be great at getting girls and armying. I don't know where that it lands, but it's, it, it, it can't be in the middle. I feel it's one of the, or the other there. It was a kind of, kind of speech that this movie absolutely had to have. And to some extent, we're suffering from the fact that we're seeing a lot of movies from this era out of order. But it was such an established trope at this point. You see the same kind of speech in uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, the same kind of speech in Meatballs. The wacky, undisciplined guy actually has a little speech he can give that gets everybody going and gets them inspired and makes them actually get the work done. Roll for charisma. Yes, this is a character who's got much higher charisma than he does intelligence. <laughs> and it works. It works. It works. He, he gets these guys to train and they like essentially learn the drill routine they're supposed to be able to perform or something kind of like it, maybe. You hand sort Bill, of. If you hand Bill Murray a platoon, he'll invent a color guard. <laughs> That's right. And they train this overnight. And almost sleep through the review ceremony that was supposed to be their final graduation from basic training, and, but managed to get there just in time to deliver this bizarre performance. And that was, that was so much fun to watch when I was a kid because it was, it's not what the, the 
smart, rich, annoying guys want them to do. But whatever it is they're doing, they're doing it really, really well. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I felt it. It was still a little weird at this point. My, I was already like so deep into the the huddled blanket for the cringe of the humor that I was starting to mess with my perception of it. I'll admit, and this just somehow compounded some of that response from me. Oh, that's interesting because they're doing it with such absolute confidence. Oh, absolutely! That I didn't get any sense of the the kind of the humor of embarrassment or the cringe factor. I'm susceptible to that a little bit. It didn't affect me at all in this because they had absolute confidence in what they were doing. Well, the confidence and 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 and, and the marching band flashbacks. I was even I wasn't even in the marching section. I was in the pit, but the marching band flashbacks pulled me out of that, that cringe huddle a little with that but it still meant that i started from that when they walked in and i was already going eh, oh uh, you're doing well but it's not right but it's good so okay i'm here i'm following you now you got me back but i'm not sure <laughs> But that was an early kind of crowd cheer moment there when you see them succeed. And fortunately for them, the general who they hadn't, I don't think they had met before, whose house they were invading the other night, was impressed by the fact that they took it upon themselves to complete their own training. Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Army training, sir! Training, sir. Where's your drill, Sergeant, men? Hold up, sir! Hold up, so am I to understand that you men completed your training on your own? That's the fact, Jack! That's the fact, Jack! This feels like an end to a movie. This feels like the movie could have ended there with the they made it kind of story, and then it had more. No, this was just the end of an act. End of an act. The general was so impressed with this platoon's initiative in completing their training, even though they didn't have an instructor anymore. He insisted that they be given the assignment to test and man and guard the new weapons system that was being deployed, the EM-50 Urban Assault Vehicle. What kind of TMNT playset is this? I kind of want one. I want a small <laughs> desk model, but I also want to grab the designer, both both set designer and in-world military design group, and shake them by the shoulders. What is this thing? What that thing is, is a GMC RV. <laughs> a short-lived R type of RV that has a, a loyal following. There are people out there, clubs of people who are keeping them running and on the road today because they are... So beloved by those who really get them. Um, and, 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 and I assume the hydraulic mounted missile launcher is part of that fandom, right? I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people out there who have turned GMC RVs into uh, replicas of the EM-50. <laughs> but yeah, I've dragged you to Mini Cooper Club events enough. Imagine... You only dragged me the first few. I, follow, <laughs> I, I came completely walking in the group on the later ones. Well, there's something like that kind of... Mini Cooper fandom cult around the the GMC RV. Although now imagine it being for an RV that's thirty or forty years out of date. Yeah, it's still though painting this thing with an army green. Although not quite, not even army green, like a little too light of a green. Yeah, it was more of an avocado green. It was a seventies recreational vehicle from you would never. <laughs> that was the genius of it that's why it's a, a brilliant urban assault vehicle it looks like an rv that a family might be vacationing in until you start deploying the flamethrowers and the machine guns and the missile launchers and the other weapons systems built into it and the <laughs> the all the radar systems and and, sh and armor plating and periscopes and it must have been fun to build must have been fun to build all, military design wise armor plating everywhere except for the very big open and obvious from the front spots front axle like this is this is i mean if you're going to design that put a scoop on the thing but i'm getting pedantic yeah I, it would not have been very hard to immobilize would it no 
But uh, this thing's weapon output also shows you something. Between the grenades seen early on and the few grenades we've seen thrown in the final action sequence, we know grenades are remarkably low-powered. But all the missiles this thing fire do a remarkable amount of damage, way more than they should have. I swear this is the Earth before the balance patch. This is like a pre-balance patch. All the grenades (laughs) are very low. All the missiles are very strong. Those got nerfed, buffed, buffed to the hand thrown there's something off about the explosions here but it's yeah, fun for I the explosions right. the, the balance is a little bit off and we do get to see the em50 in combat operations because <laughs> while they're being tasked to guard it do our, our two heroes decide just to to follow orders and guard the thing of course not they decide to go on a road trip they decide to pick up the mps that they're in love with and go off to a hotel in germany somewhere which they do. They have a nice couple of days, apparently. Meanwhile, the the lieutenant finds out that the EM-50 is gone and mounts this covert operation to try to get it back. I, they, they drive it into hostile enemy territory. Well, they don't... Oh, no, they don't drive it to their first. They drive it... They go to their hotel in, 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 uh, in West Germany. Oh, yeah. But... The rest of the platoon is dressed in civilian clothes, loaded into a truck to go after this. They wind up making a wrong turn and getting going to, into Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And Sergeant Hulk is with them because, by the way, when they all got to Europe where they were doing all the work with the, uh, the EM-50, uh, Hulka comes back <laughs> to, to lead their, uh, their operation and they're trying to make sure they don't think that they got away with something just because they managed to somehow pass basic training. He's in charge again. And yet he recognizes that everything the lieutenant is doing is crazy and jumps out of the truck before they crash through the border into Czechoslovakia and are taken prisoner. And he doesn't just jump out. He has like this full kit with him. Like he goes absolutely Metal Gear Solid character here. (laughs) almost get the impression he's kind of happy to be out in combat again oh absolutely this is a this is a i get to relive what i was always here to do kind of ah. so we end up with the uh, our heroes and the mps finishing their their lovely weekend sergeant holka behind enemy lines in czechoslovakia and everybody else in the platoon prisoners <laughs> and being accused of being spies, which, well, yeah, they're army personnel in civilian clothes uh, on enemy territory. Yeah, um, not good. Yeah, and so receiving the message, the MPs and our two brave heroes, I guess yeah. we'll go with that, get get Hulka's message over the radio that this has happened. Right. Fortunately, they figured. That's one thing we saw. Harold Ramis's character actually spent time reading all the manuals for yes. the M50. That was around the time he was asking, do you think I'm officer material? Well, the fact that you're actually doing part of your job by reading the manuals for this thing tells me yes. Yeah. So he knew how to operate the radios and everything. So he, he yeah, but they get this message, they decode it, and then it's like, oh, goodness, they're in Czechoslovakia. We've got a heavily armored recreational vehicle. Let's save them. <laughs> right. And there again, um, Harold Ramis is saying, this may not be really a great idea. And Bill Murray is saying, well, of course, it's going to be easy. What's the problem? I, I forget the line, but he has this entire little line of like Czechoslovakia, like about what Czechoslovakia is compared to. Yeah, it's, 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 it's Czechoslovakia. It's like invading Wisconsin. That was it's it. Like, yeah, I got my ass kicked in Wisconsin one time. <laughs> That was the moment. Okay, that was my biggest laugh in the actual film. Was that moment? That, that was, was a good. great line. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, wel- welcome to Bill Mor- Murray reignites the embers of the Cold War. Oh, the Cold War was still in full swing then. Oh, oh no! Yeah, but this feels like Bill Murray is attempting to ignite it into a full-blown warm war. Yeah, in terms is- of the amount of firepower and reckless endangerment that is then proceed. That is then like the. The cavalry charge in to save their buddies. Yeah, you know, I think of thinking about it, there was a fair amount of that in the eighties where yeah, this movie did include various acts of war that would have led to uh, <laughs> uh, uh armed hostilities and untold suffering, like you know, there's this movie, there's Top Gun, but we'll just kind of ignore that for now because we got a cool story to tell. But yeah, they drive the EM fifty 
through the border, uh, the same literally. border. What's that? Literally. I yes, think they drive- literally. They're, they're still reassembling the uh, the border barricades from when the truck drove through, when the EM-50 drives through. Oh, and by the way, I think the the Czechoslovakian army is comprised of other Second City comedy troupe players. Oh, okay. <laughs> and... They get in, they they get the platoon into the uh, the EM-50, and they fight their way back out using all the EM-50s weapon systems and missiles and rocket launchers and whatnot. And yeah, this, is, this is really when the, the full accessories to the playset kind of get shown as panels pop down and reveal more missile launchers than you'd expect to fit in this thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, how? This thing is... This thing is- is multidimensional in a way that it shouldn't be for it to have that much like actuators to pop these segments out. And it's one thing to be able to fit the weapons in there. It's another thing to be able to fit as many rounds of ordnance as we see them fire. Yeah. Where, where it's all being kept. Uh, uh, the entire like drop windscreen metal plating, which moves very slowly when it's deployed, yet the glass doesn't break. And then the periscope for driving up top. This this is to- this is toyetic. This is so toyetic. <laughs> it is. And the two MPs, they show themselves to be very capable around advanced weapon systems. Makes they're, they're the most competent people in the entire movie, with the possible exception of Hulka. So it makes sense to me. It does make me wonder what damage could have been done with this device in the hands of someone like Hulka, though. <laughs> you get someone with that. Uh, although at the same time, Hulka seemed would have seemed more ha- happy. With his small kit and, like, a, a better pistol. Right, and Hulka was, was the one person who saw what they were getting into and was trying to stop it. He's, I think, enough of a soldier not to want to start a war if I can avoid it. Yeah. And remarkably, for all of the 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 flames and bombs and missiles and gunfire and all that, nobody seems to get hurt in this entire battle, except be- for the platoon having gotten punched up pretty good during the interrogation. And a couple of Czechoslovakian soldiers knocked out, either so that they're not guarding a door or so that someone can steal their uniform. Yeah, we do get some of that kind of people knocked conveniently unconscious, or we have to have a great scene, of course, of a missile blowing up a wooden guard tower while the guard is conveniently jumping out of it. So it was probably no fatalities and minimal injuries in this this whole conflict. But plenty of property destruction and plenty of of evidence left behind of the fact that they were, in fact foreign agents i guess so i guess certainly enough i mean you're driving around in a gmc rv yeah (laughs) it's not like this was built in uh in the eastern block but yeah in the end they get the uh the whole platoon out they pick up sergeant hulka on the way out and um, he 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 grabs onto them yes he jumps onto the he's clinging to the top of it as they drive away he is a badass oh yeah he's the coolest guy in here give me my hulka yeah, well, let's get to that after. Like, I don't, I don't want to spoil stuff. <laughs> but yeah, and in the end, everybody's a hero. Now, I guess John Larroquette's character is, as was threatened, posted to some weather station in northern Alaska. But Hulka retire. We get like newspaper clips and things. Hulka retires to open his Hulka Burger restaurant chain. Okay, I've got listings here. Uh, Hulka Burger. Okay, then. We've got uh, one of the MPs doing a an interview in Centerfold, I think, for Penthouse. Yeah, I think. And the other one is like a, doing modern army uh, journalism or something. The other one, it's a truck magazine called Road Life. Oh, that's right. And it's this interview about like modern ordinance and vehicles for multiple situations. It's something like that. And I'm like... Okay, she just became one of the most awesome characters. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yes. Um, the Guts magazine. Oh, that's with, right. Harold Ramis's character winds up on a cover of like a Soldier of Fortune tough guy mag. Absolutely. With a with a picture from during the escape. Who took that picture? Oh, I'm guessing that the uh, the EM50 has lots of cameras built in. Maybe. But it's a picture of them at the EM50. Oh, well, then I have no idea. No clue. Like, there's there's just a cameraman somewhere here. Some of those members of the Czechoslovakian Guard Force were actually CIA agents, and they got the film back out. That would also explain why it didn't start up a world war. 
That's right. Yeah. One of the headlines that we see is from a Czechoslovakian newspaper hailing the two border guards we see for having repelled the Yankee invasion. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> see, it's wheels within wheels. Wheels within wheels. Um, we've got Tiger Beat with um, what's his name's character? Oh, uh, John Candy's character was on the cover of Tiger Beat magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, we've got News World with Bill Murray's character. Right. Wondering if the army can survive, I think. Yeah. Which, the can the army survive comments and such, I mean, definitely made me think this is the darkest timeline where Bill Murray started World War Three, <laughs> But... We, we've we just kind of proven that maybe there was other forces that kept that at bay. Oh, I do have one, one, one big thing I was annoyed about at that ending scene. Why'd they have an Air Force plane? I wondered that as well. Okay, we both noticed it. That would be what they would have been on an army transport plane. There's plenty of army transports, but this is obviously like, oh, it's a plane, so that means it's Air Force, right? No. Also might have been... What, like, National Guard unit could they get some help from on that particular day of shooting? <laughs> yeah, probably. But still, it's like, why are they getting have an Air Force plane? Newspapers. <laughs> okay, what? Th- yeah. That ending was very, very compact, but interesting. I I, re- I had to rewind a couple times to catch all those clips and yep. figure out what it is. But it does give a where where'd they all go from here, which which is nice. And which, again, was kind of a trope at that point for this kind of movie. Starting with, I'd say, uh, Animal House. But yeah, so you see, it, it actually did have a story arc. It had I could probably f- force it into a three-act structure. It was a fairly straightforward, properly assembled screenplay. But it was all a very thin framework on which to hang a collection of a very certain kind of joke that was really popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it feels like the three blocks of it were very different material. We've got a man tries to turn his life around by joining the army first block. We've got a female nudity centric middle block. And then we've got an action movie rescue third block that have kind of a strip to connect them in between. I it felt it felt a little disconnected to me. I think you're selling that middle act a little bit short and that there was all the training stuff. There was setting up the the components that we needed in the third act. Yeah. There was the 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 saga of Winger versus Hulka. There there was although the Winger versus Hulka kind of started earlier on in the in the beginning. That's where it oh, Okay, you're thinking of like that act change being around when Hulka gets blown up. Yeah. Okay. That uh, yeah. That's around when that act change I think happened and that's yeah. when most of that other content pops up in this. Right. Yeah. And if it started that earlier in the movie, I'd know it was coming. They would have made a comment of it. If they kept that running through, it was at least a theme. The fact that it was isolated to that segment almost made it like that middle section almost made it feel out of place. Yeah. I guess I just find the, their final successful training and their drill routine, um, sufficiently cool and inspiring that it, in my mind, it takes up a bigger chunk of that part of the movie than it probably really does. Okay. So I think I think this means we're kind of leaning into leading into our final judgments here. I think so. I, I think it's time for questions. And our first question for TV shows is always binge or no binge. Did we ever decide what that should be for movies? Is it just should you watch it? Is it buy or no buy? It might be a buy or no buy. Yeah, I guess so. So what do you think? I'll let you take the first. Uh, should people go out of their way to watch this is ultimately the question. No buy. No? No. I'm not even, I am a, I'm not a direct Bill Murray fan. I'm a tangential Bill Murray fan. I'm a fan of plenty of things he will show up in, but I don't go looking for them because they are a Bill Murray film. And this is a fine example of his stuff but maybe not the best. And I'm saying that as a person who can say, this isn't my sense of humor, but also say, I know he's got a wide library. And there were enough pieces here which were great, but either didn't have enough polish or didn't feel enough connected to me that I th- 
I think there might be a better one out there. So from my perspective right now, I say it's not, it's a no buy. It pains me to say this, but I have to agree with you. Okay. If, if you remember having seen this when you were younger, there's any little spark of curiosity or nostalgia that you've got to see it again. Absolutely. Watch it again. It's not going to be as good as you remembered. It certainly was not as good as I remembered. But you're going to have memories of it, and it's going to be fun. Apart from that, there are better things to do with your time, far better movies to watch. Even if what you're interested in is old Bill Murray, Ivan Reitman movies, if you watch Meatballs from a couple of years earlier, and then you watch Ghostbusters from a couple of years later, you can absolutely, absolutely skip Stripes. So you do not have to to watch it. Unless there's something about this movie that draws you. Okay. I I actually didn't expect you to be on that same track. I thought... I know that you can be more of a fan of some of these films sometimes, and I expected this one to stick to have the staying power, but the fact that I was able to, without that context, judge it the same way you were, that's, I'm, I'm very happy about <laughs> me being able to figure it from there. And when I decided we should watch this movie and talk about it, before I watched it again, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be great, I'm going to love this, and I'm going to be able to recommend that other people go find it, and... No, it just it was not as good as my my mind had made it that, after your decades of, of memory. The the rose tint faded from it and it was not what you expected anymore. Right. Or it's not as as interesting as it was to a 16-year-old watching HBO on a Saturday <laughs> night. So that's one question. The other question then is revive, reboot or rest in peace. Revive is keep it going. What happened before is canon, and we're telling more of the story. Reboot is starting from scratch, totally reimagined. And Rest in Peace is now we can just kind of let this sit there. I'm going to say Rest in Peace. There, there's a potential there for a, a reboot of a post-apocalypse Bill Murray film after he's already reignited the war. No, I'm not going to continue past that idea. I think this is just a Rest in Peace. It might be a reference Give us reference to a Hulkerberger somewhere if you want to have yeah. fun there. But this, there's a difference between it being something you can pop culture reference if you do like it, if you are a fan. But I, and no, I, d- I also don't think it could survive a modern interpretation of the approach to the military, the view that people have, and the the way you show a film with military aspect now has to has shifted in such a way. I don't know if this movie would even be able to survive yeah. the the adaptation to a modern interpretation. This particular movie, probably not. And I agree with you. Rest in peace. This was very much a product of its time, a product of its time culturally, a product of its time in terms of this particular group of writers and actors and, and creators who got together to make this. So no, no reason to try to reboot or revive this movie. But... Since movies began, every generation had its wacky military comedy, be it an Abbott and Costello movie, or I think a generation later, there was a Pauly Shore army movie that people were comparing to Stripes. I never saw it. Don't know if it's a good comparison, but I think we're always going to have wacky comedy army movies. I'm not sure we're going to have one in the next five or 10 years. You're, You're right about that. But they're not gone for good, I hope. They might not be gone for good, but there's still so much more wrapped up right now that we're not going to see anything even like this for a while. And when it does come back, how it will approach things is going to be different. Yeah, you're probably right. We're more likely to see a, a comedy about a person without it being a comedy about the military in the same way. If you get my my difference there, yeah. If I mean, we are to see something try to break that, break into that vault once again, and and open up that that trove of humor that has been locked away for right now. And you know that makes it a very very interesting question too. What is the next? I, I'm I'm totally confident there will be a next wacky army centered comedy. What will it be like? How will it be different from an Abbott and Costello movie or Bill Murray movie? 
Uh, so I kind of look forward to f- seeing what are they, what what comes next. But I know it's going to happen. We might be more likely to see something more along the lines of a comedic Black Mirror of an army that is out of a job when all the robot army soldiers take over the the things, and it's about the people and what they do now. Before we see something where they're still in the army doing something. Oh, I did. And, and I, I'm, I'm just, th- I'm just thinking off the top of my head. How could you go back to this? And I'm getting off our original yeah. track of the movie, but it, it's a different film. Well, then, that's but... interesting. That's kind of a Philip K. Dick, Joseph Heller collaboration. You're sort of kind of describing there, and that's you know, especially you go to things like Joseph Heller and um, a Catch Twenty Two. That's a different kind of military comedy. It's very dark, very cynical, as opposed to wacky. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're always going to have those as well. You want to tie it back into this, though? I could imagine in a movie that, like that, Bill Murray voicing the robots. <laughs> that works. Well, I think that wraps us up then for, for Stripes. We've got our determinations about uh, whether you should watch this and what else should be done with it. Thanks, as always, for listening. We appreciate your um, your downloading. Check out our show notes if you are interested in uh, in buying copies of any of the things we talk about or you're interested in links to any of the stuff we discuss. And also online, Ian, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at itemcrafting or online at itemcrafting.com. And you can find me on Twitter at bymatthewporter, uh, two T's in Matthew. Or you can find me online at MatthewFPorter.com, and that'll link you to whatever else I'm doing online. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, the podcast itself you can always find at immproject.com, and that will include all of our back episodes, as well as a page where you can contact us. You can also reach us via Twitter at IMMPCast. So thanks again. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with something else for me to make Ian watch and talk about. (laughs) And remember, go find something new to watch.